while we've seen that Christianity and Islam are definitely not one and the same, they're not compatible with one another, so how do we reach Muslims? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, August the 22nd, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. It is a blessing and a privilege to have you here with us today. This is a very, very special show. Let me just very quickly uh, get some announcements out of the way. First of all, for, uh, for anybody who doesn't listen on Mondays, I am going to be putting together a little booklet on abortion and refuting some of the the pro-choice arguments and uh, looking at abortion from a uh, biblical, medical, and philosophical perspective. And we're going to have some answers to some of the main objections that you'll hear by pro-choice advocates. So if you're interested in that, they are going to be free to anybody who makes a tax-deductible donation to Bible Study Podcasts to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries which is uh, what we're uh, a paraministry of. So uh, if you're interested in doing that, just go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and go down to the bottom. On the bottom, you'll find a PayPal link. And from there, you can click on that and make your tax-deductible donation to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries. But without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and for this opportunity to learn a little bit more about you, Father. And we just pray, Lord, that this moment of instruction would be uh, fruitful in our lives and that we could learn how to better carry out the Great Commission for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a very special treat for all of you uh, out there. Of course, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Islam. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how it has really, you know, taken off in the United States. There's There's been a growth uh, that's been unprecedented of Islam in the United States. And last week, we talked about a lot of the differences between Christianity and Islam, you know, between our view and their view of God, our view and their view of the, the human condition, um, Jesus and salvation. We broke that down. We saw that Christianity and Islam really don't have a whole lot in common other than we have a monotheistic God and they, they have a monotheistic God as well. So this week we're doing something a little bit different. I've got a, a good friend of mine here, uh, Brian Jameson, and he's got some experience, a lot more experience than I do, witnessing to Muslims. And so that's going to be what we're going to do this week. We're going to have a talk with Brian. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a blessing to be here. Blessing to have you, of course. And, uh, you know, I've just got a few questions that, that I thought we could rattle off here and, and get through. You know, a lot of the listeners have written to me, and they're actually pretty excited about this. So uh, I've got one listener question that that uh, that we're going to be using today, and hopefully that's a blessing to you guys. But let's go ahead and start off by asking you, Brian. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your experience witnessing to Muslims. Sure. I um, just want to say this is an awesome ministry that you've got, and uh, it's just a neat opportunity to, to help our friends here in America learn a little bit more about Islam. Uh, my experience is, has been... Uh, quite a while uh, I've had some experience with Islam. Back in 1995 was my first time getting exposed to Islam uh, in, a, in a direct way. I went on a missions trip to uh, to the Middle East. 
uh, with a, a campus ministry right after I graduated from uh, college in 1995. And um, the, the motivation for me going there was I went to a conference, and one of the speakers had said that there was uh, one missionary for every million Muslims in this particular country that I had gone to. And uh, that was so motivating to me to realize that there was such a need out there and uh, it was also so compelling, I didn't know how I could not go. So I, I did go on, on faith and followed um, the commission of the Lord to go and to witness these Muslims for two months in the summer of 95. And uh, it was a neat experience. Learned a lot about Islam. Got a chance to read the Quran all the way through uh, shortly after that time, just so I could say that I had and I knew what Muslims uh, believed, uh, on, on the front at least. And then my heart has always been with Muslims ever since I've come back from that trip. Because I see the darkness there, and I see that they've been brought up in such a culture that they don't have perhaps a chance to be exposed to the things that we have uh, here in America as far as Christianity and, and the Bible and the true um, nature of Jesus Christ, who's their only hope. Anyway, uh, so years have passed, and I've been uh, involved in just supporting ministries through prayer and giving and so on for, for a while. And then uh, an opportunity arose here in Charlotte uh, through a movement that God, I believe, is raising up. Uh, amidst other people here in Charlotte, churches and our seminary, to reach out more to Muslims in America. And with that in mind, uh, we got a chance to go to Michigan, Dearborn, Michigan, in uh, the summer, uh, this past summer, June of 2007, and to go and and just reach out to Muslims who have come to America. Instead of having to go overseas, they're coming here. So the mission field is coming to our back door. And uh, it was just a neat experience to see Muslims there who... Are here in America, the restrictions from their homeland perhaps are not are not around. They're able to converse with you more openly about what their beliefs are. Some of them have been so um, just in, in, engulfed in our American culture that that they're almost pluralistic in their views. They don't really see a difference between the Christian God and the, and the Muslim God. Some are very faithful to their teachings and are more conservative. You get a whole spectrum. But we went up there um, last month on faith, just distributing a bunch of DVDs, uh, sharing the Jesus film which is a, an awesome tool that God has used uh, to present the, the gospel according to Luke in a video format. It's been around over 20 years, and it's a special version that's put out in 16 different languages that are the most commonly spoken languages by, by Muslims and Arabs here in America. So anyway, we went and distributed those, probably thirty to 40,000 or more in that time frame, uh, at a Muslim Arabic festival that was going on for about four days. And that, that was an experience I had recently, so... Uh, that's that's been a, a few opportunities I've had to minister to Muslims. Well, that definitely sounds exciting, and uh, there's obviously a need for for this type of outreach and a growing need for this type of outreach in our country. But I understand there's just a, a real heavy concentration of Muslims up in the Dearborn area. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, it's been estimated that um, every year, maybe a couple hundred thousand, up as much as, much as three hundred thousand. Uh, Arabs come to the festival. Some are Christian, not all are Muslims, but obviously the vast majority are, and this this is one of the most highly concentrated centers for Muslims in America. Brent, what are uh, what are some common objections that we can expect to hear from Muslims regarding our faith? Uh, I'm going to share a little bit from the presentation that I received a couple um, weeks ago. There was a man named Fouad Masri who was uh, from the ministry of the Crescent Project in Indianapolis, Indiana. And this is his answer, which uh, I, I concur with. Uh, he said there's three main objections that Muslims will raise whenever you talk to them. Uh, first is that they will question the Trinity. How can God be three in one? They have a very strict view of monotheism, that is, views God as only one person. Uh, we are also monotheistic, 
but theirs is so strict that they cannot allow for uh, plurality within the unity of God. And so that is one that they, obviously we all have a, have a, ch- a challenge to try to, to grasp mentally. Uh, and since um, it's a doctrine that is about the nature of God beyond our ability to, to comprehend, it's, it's obviously a difficulty for them. But their religion uh, specifically denies the Trinity. And even in the Quran, um, there are specific verses that are mentioned to try to refute the fact that Christians you know, should not be believing such, such a doctrine. So uh, that's one view that they, they would definitely uh, object to. Another view they would object to is that uh, the Bible that we have today is authentic, is genuine, is an accurate reflection of the Bible that was around in the early centuries. They would allow, the Quran also says that the Bible was the Word of God, and it, it, it allows for that because Muhammad claimed to be just a messenger in a long line of prophets, the last of the prophets, to bring the revelation of God. So they, they would esteem the Bible as being a very uh, good uh, book, you know, even a book that had come from God. The catch is that they think that the Bible we have today is not the same as the Bible that was originally given by Allah. So we have to try to answer that question and, and see if the Bible we have today is reliable. Is it a reflection of the teachings of the true Jesus in the original time? The third uh, objection that they bring up is that they, don't, they can't fathom or uh, understand why Jesus had to die on the cross. In their view, Jesus is a prophet, and any prophet of God should be protected by God. For him to die a shameful death like Jesus did would be out of character for God to allow that to happen. And so they, they, can't, uh, they can't allow that. They, they think Judas was replaced, perhaps replaced him on the cross, or Simon, who carried the cross, uh, Simon of Cyrene. Someone else, perhaps, was put in Jesus' place to die that shameful death. But Jesus, as a prophet, would not be allowed to, to, to suffer that death. So that's the third objection, and we have to be able to answer those three main objections, I think, and in dealing with any Muslim if we're going to give them a credible uh, look at our faith. So how, how do we respond to those objections uh, pertaining to God, pertaining to the authenticity or reliability of the Bible, and pertaining to uh, the necessity of, of Jesus' sacrifice? Well, that's a great question, and, and there's a lot of maybe different ways we could go about that. And I think we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when we're talking to a Muslim. Perhaps one of these objections is is really key, and the other ones maybe are less of a problem for them. You know, they might be more open to talking about one or the other. It just depends on, on that person's um, personal stance at that time. So we need to be sensitive and, and address their questions and not just, you know, be throwing out a bunch of answers to maybe things that they are not wanting to talk about at the time. But if if these questions do come up, I would say as far as the, tr- the Trinity goes, we need to look at the fact that God is so above our way. You know, Isaiah says that his thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above, are above our ways. And if God is truly God, if he's truly infinite and supreme being that they also believe uh, he is, then he should be beyond our ability to comprehend. If we can understand the nature of God, then perhaps he's a little bit smaller uh, in our mind than he should be. And so I think that's one uh, answer we can give them is that God is so big and, and uh, above us that it's not impossible for him to have a nature that just we cannot grasp. Uh, also that the nature of the Trinity also allows him to be transcendent and personal at the same time. We can also help them to see that because God is a loving God, and that's one thing they also don't uh, believe. They believe that he's a master and they are a slave. To show them that God at the same time is transcendent yet wants to be with them and among them helps to kind of a little bit show why the incarnation of Christ and the uh, the dual nature of Christ is so critical. He's the way to bridge that gap of a God who loves us so much. The question of the corruptibility of the Bible, I would say we, we, we could go back to uh, manuscript evidence uh, that shows that the Bible we have today is the same as it was in the first few centuries of the church. 
One good tactic to use that we have used and we've been taught and trained to use is that you can ask the Muslim and say, was the Bible corrupted, especially the New Testament? You know, the, the, the main issue here is the New Testament, the Injil, they call it in Arabic. Was the Injil corrupted at the time of Muhammad? And uh, if they say no, uh, then you have to ask them, well, then Muhammad uh, re- referred them back to a book which in the Quran, Muhammad did say, if you are in doubt, Surah chapter 10, verse 94, if you're in doubt about what I'm revealing to you, go and check with the people of the book. Again, Muhammad did not seek to uh, contradict the Bible. He thought he was just here to correct the misinterpretations of the Bible, and he appealed to the Bible. So if, if the Bible was, was accurate up to the time of Muhammad, then we can go back and show that the Bible we have today matches manuscripts that predate Muhammad. We have manuscript evidence from the 3rd and 4th and 5th centuries. Muhammad didn't come around until 600 A.D., so we can show through just hard evidence that the uh, teachings of the Bible are consistent for the past you know, 1,700, 1,800 years. Also, the, if the other uh, side of the coin, if they say, well, no, the Bible was corrupted by the time of Muhammad, and he sought to come and correct uh, a false um, document, then we can say, well, the Quran never, ever, in any, anywhere uh, says that the, that the Injil has been corrupted. And again, Muhammad referred back to the Injil as a testimony to confirm what he was saying. And so at that time, Muhammad never made any indication that the document itself was corrupted, just that the understandings of Christians were corrupted. And this is why he appealed to the, to the New Testament as authenticity, you know, authentication for him. So if that's the case, if he did appeal, then if he knew the Bible was corrupted at that time, he was a false prophet because he told them to go back to a document he knew at that time was corrupted. Uh, finally, uh, the issue of Jesus dying on the cross uh, we can go back and show uh, through non-Christian historians, uh, Josephus and uh, some others, Roman and Jewish and Greek historians, that show that Jesus did die on the cross. Uh, this is not just a corruption of the New Testament. Other non-biblical manuscripts and historians have shown that Jesus was a real figure who did die on the cross, and that's well attested in history. So we can go back and look at that uh, as another way of, of kind of showing that the death of Jesus was real. And then we also want to go and to look at the relevance of Jesus' death, and that goes back to sin and the need to um, be saved before a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. But that's another question for another time, probably. So um, they also reference Abraham uh, sacrificing or, or getting ready to sacrifice his son. Is that right? Or, and how can we use that to, uh, to show the relevance of the death of Christ? Yes, that's, that's a good point. Uh, Muslims have, a, have some common ground with Christians in the Old Testament. They believe in Abraham, Noah, Adam, a lot of the characters and figures of the Old Testament they also believe in, although some of their, their views of them are d- different than the Old Testament viewpoint. But they do believe Abraham was one of the greatest prophets. Uh, they also would trace themselves as being descendants of Abraham, as we Christians would say ourselves as sons of Abraham, you know, as a model of our f- of faith. But um, the difference, of course, is they would trace themselves more through Ishmael, where we would trace the Jewish uh, promised people through Isaac. But the story of Abraham sacrificing his son is, is uh, common to both is, to Muslims and Christians, although the son that, that was sacrificed is different. We, we see Ish, uh, Isaac as being the, sacri- the one that was to be sacrificed, where they would see Ishmael. But beyond that, you, you can ignore that and just, just talk to a Muslim and, and, and help them realize that we, also, we both agree that Abraham did... Uh, obey God, and was a model of faith to go and sacrifice his son. And uh, which son it was wasn't impo- isn't really that important. We just need to agree with him on that, and then show them that God, at the moment that the son was about to be killed, provided a ram in the place of his of Abraham's son as a substitute. And in Arabic, this is called adha. 
This is the this this, this is the a festival that that Muslims celebrate even till today, El Adha, and it's a, a remembrance of how Abraham obeyed God, and then was about to sacrifice his son, and yet God replaced that sacrifice with an animal, the ram. And that's a great picture that we can use as Christians to try to help bridge the gap so that they can see that God himself substituted for uh, someone uh, for them to be saved from having to die. And we can look at Jesus then and point to him as being another fulfillment of that, where he is the Lamb of God who came to substitute and take our place so that we don't have to to face the punishment of death. So there's a bridge there that we can use. And uh, so the concept of atonement, or of sacrifice at least, replacement, substitution, is not totally foreign to Muslims, although some might say it is. It is not totally foreign to Muslims because of that, that example. Well, that's definitely some great insight, uh, some very good answers. Let me ask you this. Is there anything that, as Christians, we should be careful not to do when we're witnessing to Muslims? Uh, yes, a couple that come to my mind are we don't want to uh, denigrate Muhammad. Of course, as Christians, we believe Muhammad is not a true prophet and that the Quran is not really the word of God. Uh, but you gotta, we have to put ourselves in the, in the, in the shoes of the Muslim who's been brought up all, all his years of his life been taught this and uh, reveres Muhammad as the last and greatest prophet of all and uh, they respect Jesus of course they think he's a great they would even say they believe in Jesus but they would say they believe in him only as a prophet not the son of God so we have to be careful to respectfully uh, address Muhammad and not really spend a lot of time trying to uh, denigrate him and put him down Uh, the focus needs to be on Jesus who is Jesus how is he so great and wonderful and loving and how his commands, his, his words are so powerful that uh, when the Muslim gets time to compare those to Muhammad, he can see that there is really no comparison. The claims of Jesus to be the Son of God, the, the miracles that Jesus did, where Muhammad did not do any miracles. Those are the kinds of comparisons we can point them to. But always keeping the focus on Jesus. Lifting Jesus up rather than putting Muhammad down would be one uh, key thing to remember. Otherwise, they're going to put walls and defenses will, be ra- will raise after that, and you won't really have an audience with them anymore. And you can understand how that might happen. So that would be one thing we want to avoid, just out of respect for our friend, Muslim friends. Another thing we want to avoid, at least in the first, as a first measure, is to avoid having men talk with women, uh, and or women talking with men. In, in a culture that the Muslims are, are reared in, you know, male and female relationships are, are very uh, important as far as the boundaries there. And uh, we would, we don't want to be offensive unintentionally. In America, it's not a big deal for a man to go and talk to a woman. But in their culture, it might be seen as offensive if we go up and have a man trying to witness or talk to a woman just because that's you know, in their culture that's seen as a little bit maybe of a, a taboo there that, that they might uh, take offense to. So we want to be careful there, just custom. We also want to show reverence for the Word of God, uh, holding the Bible up, not putting it on a lower part, a lower shelf of our bookshelf or holding it high above our belt level, belt level, these things show that we respect the Word of God. You know, as, as Americans, sometimes we think, I oh, would just throw the Bible in the back of the car. But, you know, do th- doing things that kind of show that the Bible is just a regular and, and you know, normal book rather than a holy, sacred book that we would want to take care of at all costs, that's something that Muslims also will notice. So we want to be careful how we present ourselves that way, too. Well, those are also some some very good things to know. We do have one question uh, from a listener that I wanted to to throw at you. How do we respond to Muslims who say that Jesus never claimed to be God? Well, uh, we would have to go, again, many of these questions go back to the authenticity of the Bible. If we can show that the New Testament is accurate, then we can go back and help them see where Jesus claimed to be God in such places as John 14, where uh, he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And then uh, 
one of his disciples asked him, Jesus, show us the Father. And he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And, of course, other places where in John chapter 5 and in John chapter 10, uh, the Jews are trying to uh, you know, come against Jesus, even stoning him. And uh, the reasons explicitly stated is because they say, you, a man, Jesus, you, a man, claim to be God. They understood Jesus' claims to be God uh, back, in, back in, the, in, the, in that context. So there's other verses as well. That, that we can point to. John chapter 1, verse 1, of course, is another great one to show that, that Jesus uh, is God in, in, in nature. Um, this, you know, it goes back to the authenticity of the New Testament, though, and if they're not going to accept that the, that the Bible we have today is genuine, then most of those arguments are probably going to fall on deaf ears. So we, I think we have to go back to help them get, at least give the Bible a fair hearing, to show them that it has not been corrupted, and if it's not been corrupted, can we at least sit down together and look at it objectively and see what it says and let them come to their own conclusions. Giving them a New Testament as a gift is a great idea. They can sit down in the comfort of their own home, read the claims of Christ for himself, come to see that they are much different than what the Quran has to say. And they're going to have to make a decision down the road. Is the Quran correct or is the Bible correct about who Jesus is? You can't have it both ways. And uh, it depends on how much validity they'll put into each of those books. And if we can show a good good historical background to the authenticity of the New Testament. That might help go a long way in helping the Muslim come to those conclusions on his own. Well, Brian, we sure do appreciate your time today. I know that we're going a little bit over for you guys, but I just want to ask Brian one more quick question. Um, Brian, just for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with any of the resources that are maybe available to them or you know, some of the better places where they can learn more about Islam, where would you direct them? Yes, that's great. Uh, we need to be learning constantly, and I'm by no means am I an expert. I just uh, do have a passion to learn and grow uh, in the study of Islam and how to witness and, and share Christ with Muslims because they're they're one of the most needy people in the world. So we need we do need to be studied up and learn, but also we need to recognize that God can use us even with the limited knowledge we have. Some of the things that I've shared today are the things that you hear in, in training conferences. And just that little bit of knowledge, if we can have some of that at our disposal, that can go a long way. So it's not like we have to be experts. I just want to encourage the audience today on that. But there are some resources that you can look at. Um, I mentioned before a guy named uh, Fouad Masri. He has a ministry called the Crescent Project. And you can actually order some uh, witnessing packets where he includes a Jesus film, DVD. He includes a little booklet called Adha and the Injil, which is a... uh, an exploration into this whole concept of sacrifice from Abraham and transferring it over to Jesus, as we discussed. And also a little booklet on, Is the Injil Corrupted? Uh, Giving evidence for the fact that our Bible today has not been corrupted. And these are great things to answer some of those major objections that uh, Muslims will uh, have when when you try to discuss them. You don't have to have the answers. You can just hand them a booklet. A great resource also is a book by Sammy Tanago. That's spelled T A N A G H O. And he has a book called Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. It's probably the most comprehensive evangelistic material. It's a 300-page book. It's wonderful. It goes through all the objections and all the questions that Muslims will ever ask. And uh, if they're interested in seeking truth, this one really, I think, will, will be a home run for them. There are also some other resources out there. I would encourage you to check the Crescent Project website um, as, as one. Also check a ministry here in Charlotte that's going on. It's beginning to be launched, as I said before, uh, com, And that's a growing network of, of, of like-minded believers here in Charlotte who are trying to gain access to these types of resources, be trained, and to uh, learn how to, to f- effectively share our faith with, with Muslims here in America. So thanks so much.
Well, God bless you, Brian. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope this has been a blessing for all of you as well. And uh, have a great week. I will see you guys next week. If you have any questions about this, feel free to email me. Uh, All you have to do is go to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Scroll down on the right-hand side, and there's a little contact box. You can shoot me your questions. And uh, if it's something that I can't answer, you know, maybe it's something Brian can answer. But we'll get an answer for you. So if you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me. But God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I will see you guys next week.